Welcome to Shake That Soul. I'm your host, Rose Rising. This podcast is about getting in touch with your spiritual side and living intentionally. Let's get ready to laugh, ignite our creative spark, and open our minds. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 27. I'm glad to be back and I hope everyone is doing well. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I have a very special guest that I'm super excited to chat with. Her name is Rachel Sullivan. Rachel currently lives in the UK and is a very talented self-taught dancer, hoop artist, poet, filmmaker, and painter. She does these phenomenal dances with the hula hoop. Some of you may be familiar with flow arts, which is typically synonymous with the festival community. Rachel's video showcasing her flow dancing with the hoop went super viral, and she recently announced that she is doing a tour called the Mythos Tour across North America to teach her hooping techniques to the world. She talks about how dancing helped her heal, how beneficial learning to work with the hoop can be, and we also chat about music, mindset, and dealing with problematic people on the internet. Rachel has lots of valuable stuff to share in today's episode. Before we get into it, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to get updates on when new episodes come out. And you can also follow me on Instagram for updates as well. Again, thank you so much for being here and let's get into today's show. Rachel, welcome to the show. I am so glad to have you here today. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here as well. Yes, I've been watching your videos for some time and I'm absolutely intrigued by your ability to dance so gracefully. And I just really appreciate that you obviously put so much effort and practice into this flow style that you have. So can you tell me where did you get started in dancing and around what age did you discover your love for dance? Thank you so much, first of all, for the the nice shower of compliments in the beginning. I appreciate that. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I would have to say that my the age that I was that I can remember where I really knew that I like dance I have a very vivid memory of being about 10 or 11, but I know that it was before that that I really liked it. But the most visual, vivid, like maybe visceral is the right word, memory that I have that I can really go back to. I remember being 10 and listening to, I think it was a Cascada song. Like every time we touch, I get speed. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Classic. Yes. And I was like moving my arms to it. And I just remember and my legs and I remember really liking it. Um, Yeah. So I've liked dance for pretty much as long as I can remember. Did anybody in your family introduce you to dance or did it just kind of happen organically? No, no one in my family um, introduced it to me that I can remember. The way that I was raised, I was raised very Orthodox Jewish. So I don't know if you know much about Orthodox Jews, but the women definitely wouldn't dance. I don't think the men would either, like in a style that's not Jewish. So 
pretty much any other style than like communal, like linking your arms and like going, oh, yoppa. So, right. So, yeah. So no, no one showed it to me, but I definitely, I just always wanted to dance, even though I didn't um, have any idea like what it looked like due to how I was raised, like being secluded from any sort of like outside influences. So yeah, I'd say my dance is pretty organic and it stems from a place of just like meditation and like knowing, sort of like tapping into, I guess, like the collective consciousness. Because even if you can't see the images, you can sort of know what might be a movement that people want to do or want to look at. That makes perfect sense. And flow, specifically that type of dance is a meditation in and of itself. Yeah, definitely. So how did you discover the hoop? Was it through festival culture? Because that's where I've seen people using the hoop the most. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I discovered the hoop actually before going to a festival for the first time when I was 17. I was going to go to Electric Forest. And my friend was like, oh, girls at these events hula hoop because obviously you know we're 17 we're so nervous we just want to fit in you know everyone's all yeah. cool, older than us like there's no one younger than us pretty much there right so we were like okay so we got a hula hoop from her garage like one of those really horrible ones from target like the cheap like pink swirled ones with, like, a ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah you gotta start somewhere <laughs> that's where I started. So, yeah that's where I started and it had a little bend in it but I still could learn like the basics of it and Yeah, that's where I picked it up because of festival culture. But then when I got really into hula hooping and like flow, I wasn't very much in festival culture, just had to like take a step back from it just because of like the drug use and everything within that scene. That doesn't really align with what I'm trying to do. Right. It's unfortunate that people associate festivals with drugs only. And of course, yes, the reality is that it takes place. But sometimes it's just hard to be in that environment, especially now, when we have a whole group of new ravers that are coming in, and they're only going to these festivals, just to get completely wrecked. And it's not about the music anymore, not about the culture and the bonding. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that's why probably now I'm getting back into it. um, Now that I'm a bit older, because it's easier, I guess, to have like, self control and the confidence to say no when someone does offer you like a line of something, or if you want to take a pill, you know, it's easier for you to be like, No, thank you. I don't want that. I'm glad that you recognize that. So I would love to hear more about the technical aspects of dancing because it seems like there's a lot involved in learning this particular style of dance. So Rachel, what would you say is the most difficult part about learning to work with the hoop? Learning its language, like learning how it interacts with you. So the amount, yeah, just like learning that balance of how it feels when you touch it, how it reacts, what sort of movements it responds to. I would say that is definitely the hardest part. Once you get like a baseline, or if we're going to equate it to like learning a language, once you learn a bit of the language, and you can kind of like structure sentences, then you know, it's only up from there. But I think the hard part in the beginning is just learning how to even pronounce like the vowels of the language, you know, like learning even how you can approach this. Because I think Definitely. I don't think I know in our day to day lives and the way that most people were classically educated, there's not an emphasis placed on these types of meditative practices, like especially in relation to an object, like exploring how your body relates to something else. 
So I think the hardest part is that like, wow, my body interacts with something and this is what happens. I have found that when I teach, most people ask, they say, oh, Rachel, what should the hoop do? And this is a wrong question, actually. Like, there, you know, there's no such thing as wrong questions. But like, this is this is a question that, well, the hoop isn't doing anything. You're doing something to make the hoop do something. If you don't touch the hoop, hoop's on the ground. Hoop's not doing anything. So the better question is like, what should I be doing? So that's what I think is hard. Learning how to move and control your body in relation to a foreign object. That's the perfect analogy. You know, learning a new language. Mm. Yeah, I love that. So for a person who, like me, who is always in my head, always thinking, always analyzing, I find it honestly a little bit intimidating to try something like this out because I'm so in my head. I feel like there's this disconnection between my brain and my body and embodiment is kind of difficult. So do you come across people like that, that are just, they have difficulty being embodied and how do you overcome that? I think that's a beautiful question and I'm very happy to answer that. I think that this question, this embodiment issue is chronic in our society. It's very common and I definitely had to overcome it as well. I got to overcome it through leaving my Orthodox Jewish community So I had to embody very literally the person I wanted to become, or I was going to stay stuck in a very traditional sort of setting. You know, I would probably never have an Instagram and never dance in any clothing, let alone like with my hoop on the internet. So I think that it's a blessing and a curse that that happened. But very young, I learned that, you know, you have to, otherwise people will uh, impose onto you. If you don't embody it, you get imprinted on. So to answer your question, the best way that you can overcome this, I think it stems from a fear of being perceived, is look within yourself and what are you saying to yourself when you're learning? Are you comparing yourself to another person? Are you setting an expectation for yourself? So managing expectations is important in learning and approaching flow arts because you should not expect yourself to get it immediately. You know, I spent 11 years to get to where I am now, and it took me exactly that long to get to where I am now. And of everyday practicing, I should post videos of when I first started out. It's so clumsy. I'm dropping the hoop all the time, you know, like it was it was really, really difficult. So, yeah, I hopefully that did answer your question, though. It's just checking the voice in your head, what it's saying. I think that's the best way you can overcome that. Absolutely. Yeah, because I've been thinking about this a lot about our subconscious too, like what we think about ourselves that we don't necessarily know on the surface Mm -hmm. and how that drives our behavior and our fear to try new things, right? Mm -hmm. The fear of being perceived as a failure. Why does it matter if you allow it to matter, you know, if you internalize that? Exactly. And do you feel like because what you've done with your dance, it's very expressive. Do you feel like you've been judged by the people around you in your life or do you feel supported by them? I feel supported by them. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. Sometimes, yeah, if you do something that's not traditional, especially in your case, right? Yes. And you can experience judgment or, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. So you didn't have that experience. 
No, I did not have that experience. But I think also my experience is quite unique in the sense that one of the reasons that I started hula hooping is because of really bad anxiety. I had a really bad um, eating disorder and I couldn't eat anything. Like it was, I, I just couldn't. I wasn't even trying to starve myself. Like I was such a nervous person that like swallowing food was too hard for me because of um, severe trauma that I went through. So people in my life were very happy to see me finally able to eat. and finally happy. So I think when it's a matter of life and death, people's priorities and their values, you can sort of, you know, okay, what's more important, this girl being traditional and dying, or her doing something non-traditional and being able to live. And even though it was hard for my parents to watch me break away and do this type of dance, as it was for my siblings, at the end, what is important to them, my well-being. So... Yeah, I'm really glad for you that they were able to recognize that. That's wonderful. It is. Yeah, Yeah. and I'm sure that there are people in my life who have judged me and who have been like, what are you doing? Get a job, like stop doing this. But I don't listen to them. That's so I don't feel the judgment because I just it's not important to me. Another person's opinion of what I should do is irrelevant. I know that this makes me happy and I value feeling happy over following some rules that makes another person happy because they don't experience my body and my feelings. They don't sleep with me at night. They don't have to be with me all the time. You know, so why would I ever listen? So I only let in the support of people and I choose to only surround myself with people who support my work and what I do. Yeah, I mean, it really boils down to those boundaries, which are sometimes difficult to set. But like you said earlier, you have to decide who you are before somebody else decides your identity for you. And you just have to absolutely be strong and stand on your conviction. Like, this is who I am. This is what I love. And this is what I'm going to do. And take it or leave it. If you don't like it, don't watch. Yeah, exactly. And it really is as simple as that. Like you said, those boundaries are really important. And I think it does boil down to boundaries at the end of the day. I noticed too, I I had to talk to you about this, but we have to bring up those nasty internet trolls. (laughs) Yeah, that's all right. Yes, yes, the internet trolls. And I just, you know, I see the posts and I think that the way that you react is absolutely perfect. I really can't understand how someone can criticize something so beautiful. And I think it probably boils down to either jealousy or boredom. I know that I've seen comments that people say that you speed up your videos, that you're using AI and all of this other nonsense. Yeah, the AI ones. (laughs) So how do you handle that internally? It's definitely difficult when people accuse you of faking something that you've worked really hard to achieve. That definitely is an ego hit. And I can feel it and recognize that it hits my ego. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think it's wrong to be proud of something that you've invested a lot of time and energy into that but then it's also a compliment at also. So it's like a weird compliment because I know that it's real. I know I don't edit it. I know I'm not smart enough to, to know how to even do that. <laughs> um, and I'm not, I don't know how to use editing software. Like I literally use Instagram and filters and my phone and I'll like be there. Like, you know, the Instagram app fails and I'm just like, oh, I lost my whole video. You know, like I'm not doing it on a computer, but how I handle it is I know that what I do is real. 
And so, yes, it hurts a little bit, but I, like I, like we were talking about earlier, I don't need their validation. I don't need them to validate my work. It's unimportant. I hoop for myself and I post the videos ultimately to inspire other people. And if it inspires them to make a nasty comment, then so be it that I can't control that response, but it's a compliment. So how I handle it, those ones are compliments. Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. And I think that most people that I've seen don't really have the discipline or the fortitude to master a craft. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. And yeah, I do think it probably stems a little bit from jealousy, but it's like, you know what, if you want it, then go get it and you put it in the work and you can have similar results. So how many hours a week would you say you work with your hoop? Um, so because it's my job, I work with it very often. I don't work with it every day though. I know people tend to think that, but I definitely take breaks. You have to, but I mean, like I I wouldn't say every day, but I probably train at least five days a week for five hours. It's athletic. It is a workout. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's a huge workout. (laughs) Yeah. I think people underestimate it. (laughs) Definitely. I can see that. And so I feel like there's probably so many different benefits that you get from dance in general. What would you say are the biggest benefits to you especially? There's many benefits to flow arts specifically. There's lots of benefits for me personally for my hoop dance, but to speak generally like why it might interest someone to do it as in like, what are the benefits? It's just a hula hoop. It has been proven that it helps prevent dementia and Alzheimer's because it activates both sides of your brain in tandem with each other. So it keeps the brain really active like a muscle. You know, the brain's like a muscle needs to be used so that it doesn't um, deteriorate. Um, So there's that, first of all. It's very stimulating. So if you suffer with ADHD or autism or other um, neurodivergencies that cause you to not have as much dopamine as other people, it's really helpful to to self-stimulate like that. And it's a very safe way of self-stimulating. It's not, you know, it's not abusing drugs like we talked about, but it's still stimulating and something to do. So yeah, there's definitely a very big benefit there. And then, of course, it really helps your agility and mobility and your reflexes, and it calms you down because it's a meditation. So I'd say the benefits are like all around. It's like you're training your body and your mind and your soul because you're also getting to create something. So, yeah, I don't know. I think the benefits are monumental, and I don't know why more people don't do flow arts, to be completely honest. I don't know why it's not mainstream. (laughs) I know. I feel, yeah, it hits the triad, body, mind, and soul. And I think one of the biggest components too, it seems to me like dancing like this with this specific flow form is just a huge confidence builder. You know, I don't know how you could do something like that and not feel good about yourself, right? Definitely. Yeah. It gives you that sense of autonomy that I think our society really takes away from us. Like, capitalism is sort of built on this idea of you don't do everything, but you pay someone to do the thing that you need, like a doctor or something. But within flow arts, you feel like, wow, I can actually achieve something other than what I've been trained to do. Like I studied sociology and political science, and it feels great that I can not only, you know, know that, but also know how to use my body. 
And especially for people who have had like chronic pain or maybe sit at their desks all day, you know, taking that time to hoop, it gives you that sense of like, okay, I have this body and I'm using it, you know, like I'm not just sitting at a desk using only my fingers. Yeah, especially nowadays, because I feel like most people have sedentary jobs and being sedentary is just one of the worst things that you can do for your health. I think that everybody needs to get out there and start moving their body. And one of my goals for 2024 is just to incorporate more movement in my life because I am neurodivergent and I do have pain and all that. And so one of the reasons I reached out to you actually was because I saw that you are going on a tour to teach your techniques in person called the Mythos Tour in North America. That's really exciting. So can you tell me about that and how it came to be? Yeah, of course. So one of the main ways that like I make money is by teaching, right? I perform as well, but they're definitely like you know, they go hand in hand. You can't really have one without the other. So I like to tour every now and again and go and see places and meet other flow artists and, you know, skill share and and create classes. But I never really had like a true inspiration behind one. It was like, come learn some hula hoops. But for this one, it's different because I had my videos go very viral, which is what allowed these trolls to come onto my page. (laughs) And seeing, seeing their comments of it being unreal made me want to teach even more in person, you know, to show people that this stuff is real, come see it in person and don't just look at it, learn how to do it. Like it's one thing to be able to do something, but be able to be able to do it and to help other people do it is a whole other thing. And I'm really excited to have the opportunity to do that. And yeah, it's the mythos tour because I'm myth busting. People are so caught up in this like idea that not people, like a lot of people, a few people are very caught up in this idea that I'm editing my videos and that I'm lying to the hoop community. And there are other hoopers who are accusing me of this, you know, who are really being really nasty, saying don't support her classes. She's editing her videos. You're going to get scammed. You're going to go to her class and all of this. But I'm using using that to be like, no, come and learn, come and see. It's not mythical. It's not magic. I mean, it is, but it's not. You can learn it. You can do it. The magic is that you too can do this. And I, I just want to, yeah, I want to show people. I want to, want to build confidence in more people across North America that they can use a hula hoop and learn how to manipulate it. And all they got to do is take the building blocks that I'll provide them with in the classes, and then it's up to them. So like once you attend the class, the ball is in your court. You have the tools. Now go and practice every day or every five days out of the week. (laughs) You know, it seems so hypocritical to me or not hypocritical. It seems more like a paradox that flow artists in particular would be attacking you because I feel like that's so against what that whole mentality and lifestyle is all about, right? Yeah, of course. But like, there's always cognitive dissonance that occurs, like where people believe that they are accepting and a flow artist and peace, love and respect. But then when it comes down to it, their ego gets in the way, they get jealous and they say, you're editing your video. There's no way because why can't I make my hoop video look like that or something like that? Or just like, it's unbelievable for them. And 
I think it definitely hurts when it comes from other flow artists, but it also, again, it's a compliment at the end of the day. It's fueled a huge creative endeavor for me, which is this tour. So at the end of the day, it's working out, doing pretty good. Yeah, you've taken the negative and you've alchemized it. You've taken an opportunity to work with it and share it with other people, which I think that's amazing because it's like you're not hoarding it. I mean, you could. I don't want to. No, but I don't want to. I mean, when I no. die, like, who knows what will happen? When will when I will die? I want at least a few other people to be hula hooping like goddesses out there, you know? Like I want that to be happening. I want to, not that people aren't already, but like I want to pass on my knowledge. Like to me, that's reincarnation reincarnation is passing on your love for something into another being that will still be alive. I don't want to get too spiritual, but I don't necessarily believe that reincarnation is that your soul actually just comes back. I just think that you pass on your soul and your soul, you know, like we mirror each other. Like we're probably amalgamations of so many souls. The soul is multidimensional. You know, we're kind of bits and pieces and they all make one picture. One of the things I have to say is I love that you have diversity too in your flow. You incorporate some theatrics and I know even some people have been judgmental about that, but I love that you have fun with it. You play, you're supposed to play, right? You're supposed to be able to dress up and be whimsical and have fun. Uh, One of my favorite videos that you did it was like are you having any fun yeah yeah elaine strike i love that so much because i have a connection with that that 1920s type of flapper style so i'm like yes do all the things you know have fun with it play dress up but i get how it can be liberating to just wear a tank top and some shorts and just be in your most natural state being in the moment instead of being all glammed up we're not whimsical all the time definitely no definitely not no it's about having the choice it's about feeling like you can if you want to you know i think also people who criticize the dressing up it's cuz secretly a part of them they want to do it People project a lot. So if you think about that, if people are projecting, then nothing is personal at the end of the day. You know, all of the people who are getting up in arms about me dressing up or me not dressing up enough, it's just, it's their own baggage. Return to sender, you know, like, you don't want to put on pretty dresses. That's on you, man. So they're missing out. They're totally missing out. They are missing out. <laughs> So if somebody wanted to start working with a hoop in particular, what would you say they should start with? Like what type, what size, and or are there any brands that you would recommend? I get asked this question a lot, and it definitely depends where you are. I'm assuming most of the people listening to this are going to be in North America. So I would recommend there's Astral Hoops and Hoopology. These are like big brands. There's also local brands that I would recommend people look into and you can find that information just by going onto Facebook and looking for like typing in your city and like hoop or something and finding like a group or on Etsy. Etsy will promote like local sellers to you. But yeah, you definitely don't want to get like a target hoop or anything like that. It is good to have like a good quality hoop. 
Um, when you're first starting, I think it's important to have two different sizes. So a big chunky hoop for on body and learning all the basics of on body, and then a small lightweight hoop where you can learn all of the um, off body moves because when you become really good, then you can find one hoop size where you can sort of do everything. But in the beginning, again, managing expectations, you can't be expected to pick up like the hoops that I use and be able to do all the waist hooping with them. You know, that's really difficult. You need that big on body hoop to learn the movement, learn the language. And then once you have that language, you start sizing down if you would like to. So like, if we're going to talk in inches, it depends on like how tall you are. So I'm five foot two. I'm actually quite short. So I started with a 36 inch hoop um, in three fourths. If you were, let's say, five, seven, five, eight, you might want to use a 39 inch hoop or a 40 inch hoop. And then for a small hoop, I started with a 29 inch five eighths polypro. But I think that was actually too big. And I would recommend a 27 inch because it's quite small and you can get a lot of those isolations and it's easier to do uh, plain manipulation because the hoop isn't as heavy. The smaller the hoop, the lighter it, it weighs. And the heavier the hoop, the more it weighs. And that can be hard to do those little manipulations that require like one tendon in your tricep. You know, like you don't want something really heavy pulling on that. Right. Okay. That is great information. Yeah, I'm sure everybody's always asking, how do I start? What do I start with? And I know... You can't just jump into those fancy LED hoops. Those are beautiful, but I know that they're pretty pricey, right? There's some yeah. treasures. 600 to $800, like point blank. That's how much they are. If you like need to get multiple, could you imagine having three? That's almost the price of like a car. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. How yeah. many do you have? I'm curious. Do you have a gigantic collection? <laughs> yeah, I do have a lot of hula hoops, but I don't have a lot of LEDs. I only have about two LEDs because I don't really work with multiple LEDs. People are more interested in per when you perform with fire props. Oh, yeah. <laughs> fire, <laughs> fire. Yeah. yeah people oh, definitely no. fire. I have found at least like you get booked and they want fire. I know, right? That's so funny. We're all pyros. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or like day hoops, like you can use like some nice sparkly, shiny day hoops. But yeah, I don't know. The LEDs don't do it for people as much, it seems like, at least for bookings, doesn't impress people. But fire, you know, it's sort of primal. So everyone's mm -hmm. like, yeah, we get it. Yeah, that makes sense. And it is perfect for the theatrical effect of it. And then, you know, festivals, it just really goes with that. Even Renaissance fairs, you know, you can really exactly. take that anywhere. So yeah, I love LED hoops in the Renaissance times. No, no. <laughs> so you're currently located in the UK. You're in Bristol, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And you've traveled all over previously, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I have. I've traveled, yeah, pretty much all over the world. I love that. And what place has really captured your heart? Um, well, obviously, I mean, Bristol, right? Because I live mm -hmm. here. But <laughs> yeah, I, I came to Bristol and it was just such a beautiful city, um, really good music scene and really lovely um, circus artists and circus companies that I wanted to work with. I think living in a place where people are doing what you want to be doing makes sense, you know? Um, but besides for Bristol, I mean, it's really hard to pick like so many places, you know, being in South Africa was amazing. I went to South Africa and did some classes in Cape Town and that was wow, 
insane. And like the beaches were beautiful. I did a class in Seoul in South Korea in 2016 and, you know, six people showed up and that's amazing. And, you know, experiencing Korean culture, especially back in 2016, I know that more people are are visiting there now and it's changed a bit, but it was so wonderful. I went to um, this place called Daegu, a town called Daegu in South Korea, and I went to the Sunmoon Market. It's like this really, it was a really historic market. And two weeks later, it burned down. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. It's really sad. It was a really beautiful, really old, old South Korean market. But yeah, I mean, South Africa and South Korea definitely like hit me a little bit uh, as like a place that really captured my heart, I guess, because it's so different to what I know. But I also lived in Australia for a year. And I did travel around Australia um, working on an indie film. It's not yet been released. We worked on it in 2019. And then because of the pandemic, it separated us from being able to edit together and like all of that. But yeah, Australia captured my heart. Um, There's a lot of flow artists out there, but also just like a beautiful land. You're very fortunate to have been able to experience all of those things. And I'm excited that you're coming back to the States. I think I need to do the opposite. I need to go to the UK someday. I'm feeling that pull. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Feel that pull and, and listen to it. I think that also it can be a bit easier to travel to if you know what sort of websites to look at and stuff like that. Like I use something called Skyscanner on my incognito. And you can not only just like check different cities you want to, tr- to travel to, but look at what airlines and what routes they use and what are the cheapest cities to fly into and out of. And you can find a flight from London to New York for like 200 pounds, which is like $250. Wow, that's insane. Yeah. And there, there are ways that you can, yeah, travel on a budget. Like I know when I traveled, like I never stayed at hotels. Like I always would do couch surfing or like stay at someone's house, which I know can be scary, but it is like hotels and like where you stay is probably one of the biggest expenses. I think it's safe to assume though, because of what you do and how attuned you are with your body, that you're intuitive and you know, you can use that when you travel. I think if something doesn't feel safe, you'll know, you know, and you'll, you'll choose a different direction. So before we go, I would love to know what some of your favorite musical artists are, because I noticed that you have a lot of diversity in the music that you choose for your videos. You know, sometimes you have drum and bass, and then other times you have some really great classic old school type of tunes. Uh, One of my favorite performances you did was to Skrillex and also to that song Batadon. That was the best. So yeah, who is your favorite artist? I don't have a favorite artist. I really like so many genres, like you pointed out. My favorite genre, though, funnily enough, is ambient. I like ambient music. I like doom metal. But I never hoop to it because people wouldn't watch that content. Let's put it that way. I would. <laughs> okay. But yeah, but most people would be like, what the heck is this? Right, um, exactly. Yeah, I love doom metal. I love ambient. I love Aphex Twin. Aphex Twin is one of my yes. favorite artists. Yes, I love Aphex Twin. I feel like not a lot of people know about him, at least here in the U.S., Mm -hmm. I think. And I'm like, wow, it's an undiscovered gem. And I wish that he would release something new because it's been such a long time, right? And when was the last time he released something? It was a really long time ago, but he still tours. He actually was in Bristol. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was. He tours at least in Europe, but he was in Bristol recently. Yeah. I didn't get to know. We had a friend's wedding, and I was like, "Why did you plan your wedding the same day?" He's like, "Oh no, I hope they don't listen to this. Your wedding was lovely." Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, it was hard. <laughs> All my friends went to it, and they were like, "It was the best set ever. It was so good." And I was like, "Don't talk about it." <laughs> but yeah, I like Aphex Twin. There's another artist though that I really, really like, and his name is Nicholas Jar. Yeah, have I'm you heard familiar. of him? No, I haven't. Um, so yeah, it's spelled quite funny. So it's spelled Nicholas, like classic Nicholas, but then it's Jar with two A's. So it's J A A R. I'll definitely check him out. Definitely, yeah. So he's like a Chilean American composer and recording artist. And he basically does like a lot of mixing and it's very ambient. He's worked with James, is it James Blake? Oh, okay. Who does like, there's a minute to your love, like a circle of a Oh, why do you sing too? <laughs> no, no. What can't you do? Come on, what can't you yeah. do? Because I know you're also, I saw that you're a poet and you do movies as well. So I think when you're creative, when you're creative, you just like, right. It just like explodes out of you in any avenue, Mm -hmm. any facet. It's like, I'll be creative here. Yeah. Nicholas Jar and Aphex Twin are like my two favorite artists. Nicholas Jar works a lot in like old cathedrals and he records with organs, like really old organs. So he gets these incredible sound samples and I'm a big fan of the way he mixes them. I'm a big fan of Kanye West. I don't care what anyone says. I really like Kanye West's music and I always have. I'm a big fan of Beethoven and Mozart and Vivaldi and Tchaikovsky. Um, I think classical music has set the tone for all music that has come after it. The chord progressions are all pretty much the same. Any mm-hmm. music that you listen to, classical music did it first. Yes, 100%. Oh, <laughs> you're speaking my language, girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Rachel, this has been such a pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time and I wanted to get you out there even more and help you promote your tour. So where can everybody find you? Thank you so much. Everyone can find me either on Instagram or Facebook. My handle is dances with circles. They can also visit my website to check out tour information and to get tickets. And that is danceswithcirclesacademy.bigcartel. And yeah, they can also find that information on my Instagram, like in the link in my bio. And of course, if they don't want to learn hula hooping and they just want to watch beautiful videos. Yeah, they can check me out on the on my socials. I'm posting beautiful videos all the time. Yes, you definitely are. I appreciate it. It's very like, it's therapeutic in a way, you know, you're just blessing the timeline. So yeah, that's all I want to be doing. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you again, Rachel. I wish you so much luck on your North America tour and all of your future endeavors. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, Maybe I'll run into you when I'm in Arizona. That would be nice. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome, Rachel. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully this inspires you to give flow arts a try or just perhaps incorporate movement into your life in general. I put all of Rachel's information in the show notes. So go ahead and check her out. And like I said earlier, don't forget to subscribe and follow. So this way you'll get notifications on when new episodes come out. 
I hope to do a new episode at least once every other week going forward. And if you'd love to support this podcast, feel free to donate. The donation link is in the show notes as well. And that's to help keep up the costs associated with running a podcast. This podcast is available on all platforms. So if you have anybody in your family or any friends that you think would love it, feel free to share it with them as well. Thanks again for being here. I really appreciate your support and for taking the time to listen. And remember to be kind to yourself and to others, especially now. Take care, everyone. I'll catch you at the next episode. Bye.